This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. We now turn to news you can use about your retirement savings, about your portfolio, about your financial security. And these are uncertain times, despite the fact that the stock market has been doing very well. Um, It's been doing very well, and that is why a lot of people are expecting a pullback, because pullbacks are a natural part of the cycles of the market. And frankly, we haven't had one for a while. It's, It's, you know, like one of those things where you think, Everything's just going a little too well. You know, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. And uh, a lot of people in financial circles are in just that situation. So we're here with Alan Small, who is a financial investment advisor, and he is going to talk about his take on this and also take your calls and questions. So the numbers to call. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Alan, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what uh, is your feeling about this pullback? Are you also expecting it? Well, that's a great question, and it's a question I get quite often. Uh, you know, the market has been going up uh, for, for so long right now, you know, one of the longest bull markets ever in history. And I think everyone's waiting for that that correction or that five to ten percent pullback. And you know, overall, those kinds of pullbacks happen on a regular basis, and they're quite healthy because the market then right after that pulls back, it tends to go higher. And so, I don't know. You know, I think there will be at some point this pullback, but so far with things the way they are, with government still remaining quite accommodating, especially down in the U.S. with their new uh, tax reform that they're trying to roll out. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, interest rates being as low as they are. I think, it you know, right now, I just don't see that pullback, uh, that big pullback happening. We might see uh, maybe a, a series of a few smaller ones, but, you know, that's to be expected. But overall, that big uh, pullback that many investors or at least some investors are waiting for, I just don't see it right at this juncture. Mm-hmm. And when you, you were mentioning 5 to 10 percent, I know most people who refer to corrections, they're, they're thinking more like 15 or even 20. Yeah. And so once you get into that 20 percent range, then, then that's, uh, that's, that's the big one that some are anticipating and even have tried to predict over the past, uh, I guess, few years. But you know, so far, so good. The markets seem to keep climbing all, you know, the wall of worry, as we call it, whether it's from a political standpoint, geopolitics, uh, North Korea, for example, uh, you know, whether it's the rhetoric coming out of Washington, um, you know, even, uh, you know, what our government is talking about with respect to taxation, etc. Overall, the market just seems to keep climbing. And, uh, you know, really what we're focusing on is good quality corporate earnings. And we're seeing a lot of them, especially out of corporations out of the U.S. and even here in Canada. And so market just seems to keep moving higher based on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, the market, 
the stock market has been really good since Donald Trump uh, has been elected, even though his approval ratings are falling. And there's a lot of uncertainty because he's an unpredictable guy. I mean, isn't there a point where the market is is going to, I guess, climb the wall of worry, you know, um, just catch up to all these uncertainties. You've got North Korea. uh, And again, uh, you don't know what is going to happen with his tax plan. He hasn't been very successful in getting any of his measures passed. Uh, Here at home, we had the liberals talking about tax reform, uh, that didn't seem to amount to very much either. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point. And I think early on in in, in Mr. Trump's presidency, if he were to come out and say something that was a little... uh, I guess, uh, you know, people didn't expect uh, the unexpected. I think the markets reacted uh, significantly, at least initially. But now, unfortunately, I think the markets, or fortunately, I think the markets have come to get used to Mr. Trump and his tweets and his commentary. And uh, I think the market is, is really what it's telling me is that I don't think they're, they're, they expect something to come out of the North Korean situation. I think they're, you know, the market is, is expecting uh, things to just keep continue and perhaps some negotiations to finally make their way through. But, but overall, I don't think the market's anticipating uh, some sort of war. And uh, as I said, I think they've come to get used to uh, President Trump and what he and how he acts and what he says. And, you know, right now they just seem to be focusing on good quality corporate earnings from the likes of Apple or Microsoft or or some of the big banks out of the U.S. And even here in Canada, we've seen some great corporate earnings out of our railways and our telecoms and our banks. So overall, it seems to be uh, full steam ahead. Okay, so how uh, can people best take advantage of opportunities, basically, or what you're saying, kind of stay safe in in all these, you know, big blue chip companies? I think the best way to, 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 as you put it, stay safe or at least manage your portfolio during a time when, you know, we've seen such large gains is continue to stay diversified. And I know that's difficult for some because a lot of individuals will say, well, it's the tech industry tech stocks have been doing so well, perhaps I'll put more money into some of these uh, names like Facebook or Amazon or Netflix. And I think that's a big mistake. I think you want to stay diversified. You want to stay to your plan. You know, I don't think you want to change it just because things are going so well. So diversification is key. When you have profits in certain investments, I think you want to take those profits off the table and just continue to rotate money into areas that are undervalued, but stay in this market. I know some of my clients uh, have decided that they want to wait on the sidelines for this correction to happen before they enter into the market. And unfortunately for them, they've missed uh, quite a bit of the last push or, or a lot of the gains. You know, when will this correction happen? It may not happen for another couple thousand points on the Dow Jones or you know, another thousand or two on the TSX. So I think you want to stay in this market to take advantage of this opportunity. But I think you want to be smart, stay diversified. Don't fall into that trap of being putting all your money into one basket. And I think that is the best way to play this market. Well, you know, it's interesting. And that's something I hear from uh, smart money is that you don't try to time it because First of all, you don't know when it's going to happen, but sometimes it comes back really quickly and you can the market can pull back and but then it comes roaring back and if you aren't in there, you aren't getting that. And that's what happened back in 2008, you know, a lot of investors you know, left the market after the market had dropped significantly. And my comment to them was, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Because for many of them, when the market did rebound in 2009, they didn't get back in and they missed 
quite a bit of that gain. So uh, whereas a lot of investors who rode the, unfortunately, the, the, the markets down, stayed patient, added more at that time, they actually were in a good, better position. They were able to ride the market higher in 2009 and 2010 and 2012 and et cetera. And I think they've done really well since the, the most recent uh, correction back in 2008. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Al in Toronto. Hi, Al. Hello. You're on the air. We're listening. Uh, Yes, I'd like to know what's happening to the Canadian dollar. It uh, it seems to fluctuate so badly. Hello? Yes. yes. Uh, Alan's listening. Yes. Uh, the Canadian dollar, that's a great question, and it's something that a lot of us money managers have our eye on because many of us have taken our Canadian dollars and we've gone and purchased investments in U.S. dollars, so gone to the New York markets and have purchased uh, stocks or different investments down there. So the Canadian dollar has been uh, something that I've watched uh, quite significantly. And really, it's had an unexpected and a very quick rise this year from about May 1st to the end of the summer. It rose 10, 15 percent versus the U.S. dollar and caught a lot of us by surprise. I think uh, a little bit too high, too fast. And what we're hearing now from the Bank of Canada is that they're probably not going to raise interest rates for the remainder of this year, and they may not raise rates for the first three or six months next year. And so what we're hearing or what we're seeing from the Canadian dollar is because of that, Canadian dollars started to pull back. And on the other side of things, the U.S., they're pretty much going to raise interest rates in December. I think that's pretty much built in at this point. So when you have our country not raising rates, the U.S. going to raise rates, that's affecting the dollar, our dollar, in a negative way. And so we're starting to see the dollar pull back in and around 78 cents. I would not be surprised to see our dollar pull back into that maybe 76, 77 cent range by the end of the year. And we'll see what the new year brings. But it's going to be based on a lot. Our dollar, anyways, the performance of our dollar is going to be based a lot on what the Bank of Canada says. Mm-hmm. Where is the uh, best place to buy Canadian dollars apart from a bank? Is there any other alternative? You mean American dollars? Yes, like American dollars. Well, that's a like great in December, if I go south, I'd like to buy about $5,000 U.S. money. Now, if I go to the bank, they charge me too much. Is there any alternative? Well, there are actual companies that do foreign exchange. Uh, a lot of them will want to see a, a larger amount you know, that you're going to exchange, so they won't probably exchange money at $100 or $200. There are also places at, you know, for example, at the airport where you could exchange money, but I'm not sure what the what the rates are there. So I think you have to do your homework and really check out a number of places. Obviously, the banks are probably the easiest and quickest way to do it. But again, you know, I'm not sure what their rates are. Usually, uh, these ex- uh, foreign exchange companies have the best rates, but they tend to work with individuals that are cha- exchanging a, a fair bit of money, a pretty large amount of money. Okay. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. You're you're welcome. Thanks for your call, Al. All right. Yeah, that's uh, an issue for a lot of people. A lot of people are about to head south, and there's also this question about American investments. Um, Where do you stand on the U.S. market? Do you think it's overpriced at the moment, or...? I think in, in many cases it actually is overpriced, but at the same time there are still a lot of bargains. So if I guess if you... If I kind of had to hedge my bets, I would say it's fairly valued. And so it really just depends on where you're looking, what sector of the market you're looking at, uh, because every sector is, is priced differently. Obviously, 
you know, investments in technology will be price different uh, than, than banks, for example. So it really just depends on the sector. And, uh, you know, every company is different, even within the sector. And are there any sectors in the U.S. that you like? There are a couple. Uh, a couple that I've been looking at over the past little while. I've, one of them, for example, are U.S. bank stocks or U.S. bank and financial investments. And the reason for that is if we do believe, or as an investor, which I do, that the U.S. will continue to raise interest rates, that's a good thing for financial institutions like banks, like insurance companies. Even here in Canada, I like Canadian insurers and Canadian banks because these financial companies tend to outperform in higher interest rate environment. They can charge more for loans, for lines of credit, et cetera. And so these uh, types of companies tend to be the beneficiaries of higher interest rates. So that's one sector that I've liked uh, for a little while now. Okay. Uh, We have to take a quick break. Before we go to break, I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm here with Alan Small, uh, financial investment advisor from Alan Small Financial, and we are talking about what's the best thing to do in this really uncertain market where everything's been going up and up and up and up, and, and, uh, you know, Isaac Newton figured out that what goes up must come down. So how do you kind of handle that? Uh, He's here to answer your questions. Questions about all aspects of the market. The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1 866 740 and we will be right back. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. As you just heard, I'm here with Alan Small. We're talking about your investments. He's giving out some advice. These are uncertain times. A lot of people are expecting a pullback in the stock market. Of course, um, nobody is prescient enough to be timing that. So what do you do? Let's go right to the phones. We've got John in Brampton. Hi, John. Oh, hi. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, I'd, uh, I'd like his, uh, his input into, I've, uh, I'm retired, I'm 79. Uh, I've done well with uh, Royal Bank stocks, and which I don't have anymore. I did well with them. Now I have Bank of Nova Scotia stocks, and I'm doing exceptionally well with them, which he probably knows. Uh, I get uh, about $1.80 for each share I have in, in dividends which is really good, and uh, it's really skyrocketed. But I can't see myself, uh, like, if I sell, then what do I do with the money? A great question. I think a lot of... Um... The dollar eighty dividend is really good. It's better than any interest you'd get at the bank. That's, that's, that's 100% correct. And I think, uh, for the most part, bank stocks over the... Many years have you know, only the, the only thing they've ever done is increase their dividends. They've never cut their dividends since since they issued their first dividend many years ago. So I think you uh, have been wise to buy the banks, Royal Bank, Bank of Nova Scotia, really any of the banks. I think you would have done quite well. You yeah. would have made a, a pretty good dividend over the years, and that dividend would have continued to increase, which is which is key. Uh, yeah. If you were to sell Bank of Nova Scotia, 
obviously it sounds like you like the income. So I would probably recommend if you were going to sell it that you probably move into something else that pays income. Some of the telecom stocks pay income. Some of the utility stocks pay income. But I think you're, you're pretty good with what you have. Um, if you don't need to sell, it's probably wise to continue to own Scotiabank because I think they will continue to increase that dividend over time. And I think the stock will, will do quite well. I think uh, management there is doing a great job. And I think the environment for bank stocks, as I've said, is pretty good. So I think you're, you have a winner there. Okay, thank you very much. My you're, pleasure. You're very welcome. Thanks, John. Uh, so let's talk about dividend stocks. Uh, do you have a recommendation in terms of uh, how much of a portfolio they should make up? Uh, again, it's a pretty good question. And we know from history that dividends actually make up more than 50% of an investor's returns. Today, unlike you know, many years ago, well, pretty much all sectors or all different companies in different sectors pay dividends. Once upon a time, you you know you never would have heard of a tech stock paying a dividend. Today, many of the tech stocks pay dividends, three, four percent. Obviously, bank stocks have always paid. Utilities pay. It's hard to say what percentage of your portfolio should be in a dividend payers with so many paying dividends. So I would look at it more of build that nice diversified portfolio, and if you can actually get paid to wait, so receive a dividend while you wait for that growth. I think that's the recipe for for success rather than try to figure out how many dividend payers versus how many that don't pay dividends. Okay. And uh, if you are choosing between two stocks in a sector for your diversified portfolio and one pays a dividend and one doesn't, is that a slam dunk? You take the one that pays it or do you look at other things? I would look at other things, but obviously the one that pays a dividend right away has a nice little check mark beside it versus the other one. But definitely, you know, you want to look at other things. You want to look at the quality of the name. You want to look at, obviously, the, the type of business that they're doing and if they're, they're successful currently. And so, you know, all those other things come into play as well. But again, you know, if they were both, you know, neck and neck, if they both are doing quite well, profitability was the same, cash flow, et cetera, the one that paid the dividend would obviously get the slight nod. Okay, well, I am here with Alan Small. We're talking about the market. We're talking about your money. And he's here to take your questions and your calls. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And, Alan, here is an interesting question. Um, is social media having an impact on investing, and what would that impact be? And uh, I guess the quick answer is absolutely. Um, you know, social media is the way many communicate today. You know, I think social media has revolutionized the way we all communicate with each other. Uh, you know, you go to a restaurant, you see two people at a table, and they're not talking to each other anymore. They're they're kind of typing on their on yeah, their phones. Yeah, but that's not that's not a good thing. <laughs> and those people are usually millennials. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's it's not not the greatest thing at times. I, I wish people would talk more, but it is the way a lot of people are getting their news, and so. You know, when somebody wants to get their information out, like look at the president of the United States, he tweets it. And um, I think today a lot of news is broke through social media. So it's definitely having an impact on the markets. It's definitely having an impact on investment opportunities because some of the biggest companies in the world are social media. Take Facebook as an yeah. example. So overall, I think it's having a huge impact on communication, how we get news and how we react to that news. And definitely 
whenever you have uh, an impact on the economy as social media has, you're obviously going to have an impact on the stock market. So, but what about in investing advice on social media? Well, and, and that's a tough one because a lot of these social media companies like Facebook, again, using that as an example, stock price is quite expensive already. And so what we're finding or what I'm finding is a lot of people are willing to overlook that stock price. I think Facebook trades at about $180 for one share. You know, used to be nineteen, twenty dollars a few years back, and here we are at one hundred and eighty. And people continue to buy the stock based on the hope and the future of the company. The hope that this company will continue to to prosper, continue to turn out more and more earnings every year, and it seems like it's it, it's doing that so far. So a lot of these investments are a little bit on the expensive side right now, but it seems like investors are overlooking that and continue to plow more and more money into those names. What about investing advice? On social media, something you might read. Yeah, well, I think there are a lot of things that come out on social media. There are a lot of people that want to have their say. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these people we read, we don't know. And I think it's very important to understand, you know, where they're coming from, why they're giving you this advice, exactly. why, they're, why they're saying what they're saying. Perhaps they're telling you to sell a stock because they've already or they own it and they're wanting you to sell it. Or perhaps they own the stock and, they, and they're trying to hype up the stock so you can buy it. So there are a lot of reasons why people will talk up or down an investment. I think you have to be very careful and take it with a grain of salt and, and really understand who the person is that's giving this advice and why they're giving it. Yeah, and you know, I, I think, you know, there's the these social media influencers, they're called, uh, and this is in general, they are paid to uh, push products. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, you know, you can also look at bloggers and other types of yeah. individuals who go online and they can talk up products and hopefully uh, get some interest in the product or in the investment. And that definitely helps. And, you know, these promoters, I guess, as they're called, uh, they, that's their job. And uh, I'm sure a lot of them do it quite well. OK, so beware of any, you know, hot tips that you see online. Uh, just make sure you you understand where that person uh, is coming from. Now, in general, uh, for uh, Zoomers, right, uh, just because interest rates are so low, their portfolios are different than they were traditionally. Like you can't, you're going to be losing money if you're in, a, you know, a safe, in quotes, GIC. So their portfolios are in general very different. A lot different. You know, when I, I guess back in 1999, I used to be able to sell one-year GICs at over 6%. And back then, a lot of people were saying, that's it. Today, I'm sure lots of uh, Zoomers would love to get 6% on a one-year GIC. I think those GICs today are 2%. So what a lot of individuals, retirees, Zoomers, what, they've having, what, what I've seen them have to do over the past bunch of years is go into those dividend pairs that we spoke about earlier. Because you can pick up a pretty good dividend from, a CI, for example, CIBC stock, 4.5%, versus that GIC that might be paying too. Now, yes, owning CIBC stock, there's going to be volatility. There is risk involved. It is obviously in the market. But now, unfortunately for Zoomers, they're having to take that chance because they need the higher return to pay the bills and to continue their standard of living that they've been used to. So it's unfortunate that interest rates are as low as they are. But for some, you know, they're just having to go into these types of investments. So, yes, their portfolios look a lot different than they would have looked at maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And how are people dealing with that? I mean, you see a lot of people, uh, are most people kind of accepting that or, or is it, you know, are people losing sleep over it? I think some are losing sleep over it, unfortunately. But I think it actually, it's interesting because I find a lot of individuals now that are in the market, maybe when they wouldn't have been many years ago, 
they seem to actually want to take more of an interest in what's going on. And then getting back to social media, going online if they can, and, and reading up on what they own and why they own it. And I think it's, it's actually it's, it's quite interesting. You know, whereas before, if they owned a GIC, they knew they were going to make their 4 or 5% and they didn't really care what was going on. So I think it's kind of created a more of an awareness from individuals who are in the market now that maybe, maybe traditionally wouldn't have been in the market. And also, I think it's a bit of a negative because if the markets were to have a bit of a downturn, individuals that are not normally, that are not normally used to being in the market – they're going to be running for the exits probably a bit quicker or maybe a lot quicker than those that are more investment savvy or are market savvy that have been in the markets for more years for a longer time period. So that could cause maybe a pullback to be a greater pullback. Mm-hmm. When you have individuals in the market that normally perhaps shouldn't be there or not used to being there, you know, that could cause a bit more of a panic in the markets. And you could see a lot of investors uh, running for the hills if we were to see a 5 to 10% correction. Whereas more savvy investors would kind of look at it as, okay, well, this is normal, maybe an opportunity to buy. So I think this can have and possibly will have an impact on the stock market in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, how should people evaluate? their investment advisors? How do you know if you have somebody good or not? And that's, I think, the the best question to ask. And and there are many ways, I think, to evaluate an investment advisor. Obviously, you want to find someone who puts their needs ahead of your own. There are a lot of advisors. Puts your needs ahead of theirs. Yeah, puts your (laughs) needs, meaning the the investor, ahead of their own. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of advisors who, you know, tend to gravitate to more higher commission products. And that's unfortunate. I also think when you're interviewing your investment advisor, ask him some, you know, some direct questions. You know, what did you do in 2008 when the market was falling? What was your strategy? You know, and, and what do you do when you meet someone new? Do you just put them into a product that has already been created for them? Or do you actually sit down with them and figure out what is right for them? Do you create a portfolio from scratch? That's what I do with my investors. I create a portfolio for tailored specifically to them. And I think these are important questions to ask your advisor. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phones. We've got uh, Stephen in Parkdale. Hello, Stephen. Hi. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? All right. Uh, just really, what, what is the advantage of going into the market as opposed to just going to the track and betting? Well, uh, you know, Stephen, sometimes people will say investing is gambling, and and I really don't think so. I I would look at investing as more of a numbers game. We know uh, from history that the longer you're invested for, the more money you're going to have at the end when you're ready to retire, as an example. We know from history uh, the data. You know, if you're invested in a moderate, uh, moderate risk portfolio based on today's interest rates, you can assume over the long term, if you're in good quality, medium risk names, you should expect you know somewhere around a 7 to 10% rate of return. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Whereas you go to the track, obviously, you're throwing caution to the wind. You're just throwing your money down. And No, you're looking at the horse's record. You're looking at the jockey's record. I, I guess so. I guess if you're a horse expert, you, you, you might do a, a little bit better. But I think you know betting on the horse is more of a short-term game, obviously. I don't know how long a race is. But uh, I think investing, for the most part, for most investors, is not is not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. And I think if you invest in good quality names for the long term, you will come out on top. Horse racing, you might get lucky on, on, on a race in the short term, uh, but I'm not so sure if you bet on horses every day that uh, you will come on top over the long term. So I think that's the big difference. Okay. Okay, Stephen, are you calling from the track? <laughs> not today. Not today, no. Okay. Oh. Thanks for that. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. 
Okay, so uh, you can't give us any advice on the ponies there, Alan. I'm not so good at that. No, no. <laughs> um, we are uh, starting to run out of time. What would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I think overall today's market is a very good one. And, and from time to time, I hear individuals tell me that they're keeping your money on the sidelines. And as we said earlier, waiting for this pullback. And I think that's a, a, a big mistake. We don't know the future. Some of the best investors of all time, like the Warren Buffetts of the world, will always tell you you can't time this market. And I really believe that. I think what you do if you have money to invest is you make the best investment you can today based on the information available today. Sometimes that works out right away, and sometimes that takes a little bit longer for, for it to pan out. But I think you want to be invested today. I think the alternative, as we said, low interest rates, they just don't cut it. You can't even, you barely can make in the inflation number or standard of living. So I think overall, I think you want to be invested uh, today. And uh, I just don't think you can afford to time this market. So that's that's pretty much the main message at this juncture. Okay. Well, Alan Small from Alan Small Financial Group, thank you so much for all that advice. My pleasure. Okay. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. We now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.